Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Well, I have a little bit of a different message today. Um, How many are familiar with David Barton? I'm not as smart as him, so I just pirated him. I shouldn't say I'm not as smart as him. He is very educated in one particular area, and that's the history, the true biblical history of the nation of the United States. And so I just want to share some uh, truths today about the United States, and we actually may even get out a little early, which would be all right. We've already had church anyway. <laughs> but I just want to share some, I want to share a perspective today uh, as I was praying about this, and I'll read through my introduction. But I just want to share from the perspective of that our, the United States was founded on God and Scripture. And I know there's a lot of revisionist historically right now going on. And revisionists, I'll just say this, revisionists have been around since the founding of this nation. Did you know that? It was going on, you say, what's a revisionist? It's somebody who rewrites history to fit the mode that they want you to see America as in this case. It's a group of people that take twisted, uh, pulled out of context uh, scenarios and work people into a frenzy to try and fundamentally change the United States of America. That's what revisionists are. So revisionists do this. They try to get you to fight with me because you're not white, but I am. I don't know if you've looked around. I mean, there's all sorts of different shades of skin around here. And what I've found out through the years is, in working with different groups, that racism is not exclusive to white or black. I mean, I've worked with... I've worked with Mexicans, I've worked with Native Americans, and I tell you, Native Americans have been known, and I'm not saying in this group, to hate Mexicans. Now, I know of situations personally, I'm not making stuff up. Or they try to get you to fight in class. Well, we have money, but you don't. Or they try to get you to fight in, well, we're the cowboys. You know, we're the salt of the, we're the good old boys. And everybody in the south is definitely conservative, but everybody in the north, no. And so we have to go back to, as far as our nation is concerned, in order for it to fulfill what God has called it to do. Now, I don't think the United States of America is eternal, okay? So you might as well throw that out the door. The Scripture doesn't say... Now, Israel and the Jews and and, uh, that whole area, that is chosen. That's chosen land by God. But I do know that this nation was founded by God and that it has a specific purpose until the return, the rapture of the church, basically. And we need to fulfill that. But we need not let the outliers, those that are on the outside that don't believe in God, that don't believe in what uh, this nation was founded on, determine how we think or affect our blood pressure. Because you can, if you, you know, it can turn into, 
well, I'm against these people. We cannot abandon the gospel for the sake of nationalism. Do you understand what I mean by that? Okay? But we do, we are commanded in the scriptures to pray for our nation, to pray for our leaders, to believe God, to do mighty things, and we need to be aware of that. And so I just want to give you some evidence. I know most of you know this, but this, some of this might be new to some of you. But so I'll just start out with the introduction, which is this. Today as a nation, we are celebrating our freedom from tyranny. We are able to celebrate, in, we are able to celebrate our freedom because of the vision that God put into the hearts of our founding fathers. The vision of a nation that would be free to worship God according to the scriptures and not according to the dictates of religion and government control. We are free today because of the countless men and women who from the founding of this nation have sacrificed their lives for this, for this God-given vision called the United States of America. This morning, for a few minutes, I want to share some key reasons why America has become the greatest nation on the earth. These reasons will show why America has risen to the place it currently has in the world today, but they will also show how America can be destroyed if they are abandoned. Success for any group rises and falls on humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. As Americans, the success we desire in our personal lives and in this nation can only come and be maintained through following the pattern given to us by our founding fathers. Let's look first into some of the founders and early influencers of America and what they had to say about the importance of the Bible. This is from the Founders Bible. If you're, wanting to, if you're looking for a good Bible uh, that has to do with American history, the Founders Bible by David Barton is excellent, and it is chock full of information. The Bible and America both enjoy unprecedented success. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. It has sold hundreds of millions of copies worldwide and has been the best-selling book in America for centuries. No other book is comparable. Similarly, America is unrivaled in its success. How many would agree with that? Born in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence, she has had only one form of government since the U.S. Constitution was ratified in 1789. And I think Herb said this morning, America's what, 245 years old today. Neither our closest allies or our fiercest enemies have experienced the stability with which we have been blessed. The accomplishments of both America and the Bible are unmatched, but not unrelated. For the Bible was the key factor in American success, a fact largely unknown today, but widely acknowledged by national leaders throughout American history. And now I'm going to give you several of them. For example, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In the formative days, this is his This is a quote from him. In the formative days of the republic, the directing influence the Bible exercised upon the fathers of the nation is conspicuously evident. This book continues to hold its unchanged place as the most loved, the most quoted, the most universally read and pondered of all volumes which our libraries contain. We cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of the republic. I suggest a nationwide reading of the Holy Scriptures. 
for a renewed and strengthening contact with those eternal truths and majestic principles which have inspired such measure of true greatness as this nation has achieved. The second president of the society of that society was John Jay, appointed by George Washington as the original chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Other officers of the American Bible Society included signers or framers of the U.S. Constitution, such as Caleb Strong, John Langdon, Bushrod Washington, and John Marshall. Military leaders such as Matthew Clarkson, Major General during the American Revolution, Attorney General of the United States, William Wirt, U.S. President John Quincy Adams, and other national notables. Today, we would expect ministers to start Bible societies, but in previous generations, it was presidents, military generals, attorney generals, and Supreme Court justices who led the way because they especially understood the practical relevance of the Bible, not only in everyday life, but also in, in its indispensable importance to the maintenance of national life. The praise of such leaders for the Bible was clear and succinct. Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration, stated, The Bible contains more knowledge necessary to man in his present state than any other book in the world. By renouncing the Bible, philosophers swing from their security upon all moral subjects. It is the only correct map of the human heart that ever has been published. John Jay, president of the Continental Congress, author of the Federalist Papers, said the Bible is the best of all books, for it is the Word of God and teaches us that, uh, teaches us that way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue, therefore, to read it and regulate your life by its precepts. How about John Quincy Adams, president? No book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. The first and almost the only book deserving such universal recommendation is the Bible. Robert Treat Payne, signer of the Declaration, I believe the Bible to be the written word of God and to contain in it the whole rule of faith and manners. You know, they should teach this in public school. You go ahead and teach the other stuff with it and see which one stands. We are not afraid of our truth. That's why they have to lie about it. William Samuel, Samuel Johnson, signer of the Constitution, remember that you are the redeemed of the Lord, Ephesians 1.7, that you were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20. Even the inestimable price of the precious blood of the Son of God, acquaint yourself with him in his word and holy ordinances. James Wilson, signer of the Constitution and signer of the Declaration, our, our all-gracious creator, preserver, and ruler has been pleased to discover and enforce his his laws by a revelation given to us immediately and directly from himself. This revelation is contained in the Holy Scriptures. Noah Webster, how many have heard of Webster's Dictionary? Schoolmaster to America, all of the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from them despising or neglecting precepts contained in the Bible. James McHenry, signer of the Constitution, the Holy Scriptures, can alone secure to society order and peace and to our courts of justice and constitutions of governments, purity, stability, and usefulness. Bibles are strong entrenchments. Where they abound, men cannot pursue wicked courses and at the same time enjoy a quiet conscience. 
I love that statement. I'm like, no wonder they want the Ten Commandments torn down. <laughs> you know, if you drive your car into the statue of the Ten Commandments and knock it over, it doesn't stop the Ten Commandments. It just takes the statue down. <laughs> John Adams, signer of the Declaration. Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a utopia. What a paradise this region would be. The Bible is the best book in the world. These aren't unknown men. These are founders. These are signers. These are presidents. These are justices. These are generals. These are soldiers. These men served uh, uh, their country and gave up their fortunes and their livelihoods to establish the freedom we have today. And today we have politicians on both sides of the aisle that will gladly give up their nation for their own pocketbook. Amen. And that irritates me. Because that's not leadership. We have a selfish, selfish problem going on. America's commitment to the Bible was unwavering and was demonstrated in many ways, one of which was evident at the conclusion of the American Revolution. With the victory at the Battle of Yorktown, America was finally free from, the Brit from British policies, including the long-standing one against printing a Bible in English in America. That is tyranny if somebody tells you you cannot print the Bible. That is not God. Consequently, in 1781, a plan was advanced in Congress to print America's first English-language Bible. On September 12, 1782, the full Congress approved that Bible, and it soon began rolling off the presses. Printed in the front of the Bible was a congressional endorsement declaring in part, resolved that the United States in Congress assembled recommend this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. Of the events surrounding the printing of America's first English language Bible, one early historian observed, who will call in question the assertion that this nation, that this is a Bible nation? Who will charge the government with indifference to religion when the first Congress of the states assumed all the rights and performed all the duties of a Bible society long before such an institution had an existence in the world? The Bible was key in causing America to be the most successful nation in the world and its influence remains profoundly beneficial today whenever its teachings and principles are read, studied, and applied. We know from Scripture that if we ignore God, we get something else. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 36 says, The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, and you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you out. See, this is the thing. If you ignore God, you get the opposite. People say, well, I don't, there, there's no opposite to God. There is. His name is Satan. And if you ignore God and don't follow him and you follow Satan, it's the principle of seed time and then harvest. Whatever you sow, you will reap. It happens that way. It's, it, people have said to me at times, well, I don't believe the Bible, so it's not true. 
So if I take an apple seed and I plant it, and I say, I don't believe in apple seeds. Apple seeds don't grow apple trees. And I plant it and water it, and the apple tree grows, and I get mad because I got an apple tree instead of an orange tree. Whose fault is that? It's mine. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So our nation is founded on God, but you and I both know there are a lot of people that don't want it to go that way. Do you know that if the people that, are, that have the control right now had the control at the beginning, we'd still be part of Great Britain because they would have sold themselves out for money. The other reason why we know America was founded by God is God's hand, his miracles have been seen. How many have ever heard of George Washington? Do you know he was called the soldier who could not die? That was the nickname of his. <laughs> the soldier who could not die. With its promises, talking about the Bible, of divine protection, such as a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you, and he, and he shall call upon me and I will answer him, in verses 7 and 15 of Psalms 91, is sometimes called the soldier's psalm. Have you ever heard that before? Though by no means limited to combatants, young George Washington seems to have been the recipient of God's supernatural charge or protection. So much so that he became known as the soldier who could not die. General Edward Braddock and Colonel George Washington fought in the battle in the French and Indian War from 1753 to 1763. Um, in one of the battles, they were ambushed by the French following a path through a wooded ravine. During this conf confrontation, 714 of their soldiers were shot down and only 30 of the French were shot. Of the 86 British and American officers in the battle, 62 were either killed or wounded. George Washington was the only mounted officer not shot down off his horse. Though he had been particularly vulnerable, having courageously ridden back and forth along the front lines, delivering General Braddock's orders among the troops. Washington later wrote to his family, you'll love this, as I have heard since my arrival at this place of a circumstantial account of my death and dying speech. That'd be a good letter to get, don't you think, if you're the family way. I take this early opportunity of contradicting the first and of assuring you that I have not as yet composed the latter. <laughs> but by the all-powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability and expectation. For I had four bullets go through my court coat and two horses shot under me, yet escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side. Additional confirmation of just how miraculous Washington's preservation had been came years later in 1770. Washington had returned to the same Pennsylvania woods in which he had earlier fought, but this time on a peaceful surveying mission. An ancient, leather-faced Indian chief heard that Washington was back in the area and traveled to meet him, explaining, I have traveled a long and weary path that I might see the young warrior of the great battles. 
Over a council fire, the chief declared that he had been a leader with the French 15 years earlier and then recounted the famous battle from his perspective. He explained that he had ordered his braves to single out the officers and shoot them down and that Washington had been specifically targeted. The chief proudly announced that his own rifle had never before been known to miss. But after personally firing at Washington 17 times without effect, he concluded that Washington was under the care of the great spirit. I guess so. He therefore instructed his braves to stop firing at Washington, confessing to Washington that he had come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven and who can never die in battle. Red Hawk, another Indian chief in the battle, similarly testified of shooting 11 times at Washington without hitting him. And because his gun also never missed its mark, he too ceased firing at him, likewise convinced that the great spirit protected him. And we all know our first president, George Washington. The fight for freedom, finally this morning, continues today. Just as the Lord delivered Israel from Pharaoh, he continues today through his church to deliver America from communism and socialism. Exodus chapter 1 through chapter 14 records the liberation of God's chosen people, the Israelites from oppression of the Egyptians, with God leading them out of subjugation and into freedom. It is the record of one miracle after another, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide and protect them. The miraculous opening of the Red Sea allowing the Israelites to cross on dry land, the supernatural return of the, of the sea to its original state, completely destroying the Egyptians and permanently securing the Israelites as an independent nation. Divine protection and sustenance, such as manna from heaven and water from a rock, while crossing the wilderness and before entering the promised land. The entire biblical narrative was a source of inspiration to the founding fathers who saw themselves in similar circumstances of oppression and tyranny from which they pleaded divine intervention and deliverance. Not surprisingly, they regularly invoked this story throughout their own struggles. For example, following Patrick Henry's famous Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech in Virginia... British troops began seizing public supplies in the colonists, gunpowder stored in Williamsburg. Henry, unwilling to allow the British action to go unchecked, gathered the local militia and addressed them in an impassioned speech, which he reminded them of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire which guided the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 13, of the water gushing from the rock of or- at Oreb, Exodus 17:6, of the miraculous passage of the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14, and then with the eye uplifting, his arms aloft, and his whole soul burning with inspiration, declared that the same God still ruled in the heavens, and that he was watching from his throne the oppression of his people in America, and that he has he still he was still strong to deliver and mighty to save. How many know he's still the same? The following year in Massachusetts, Samuel Adam drew similar parallels between King George III's tyrannical behavior and that of the Egyptian pharaoh, observing 
I scruple not to affirm it is, it is my, it, 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 it as my opinion that his, King George III's heart is more stubborn and his disposition toward the people of America is more unrelenting and malignant than was that of Pharaoh towards the Israelites in Egypt. But let us not be impatient. It requires time to convince the doubting and inspire the timid. The very day that Congress approved the Declaration of Independence, this day, July 4th, 1776, it was also appointed to John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin. Did those names ring a bell? I mean, to draft a seal characterized uh, by the spirit of the new nation. Franklin's proposal was directly from the Exodus story. Moses lifting up his rod and dividing the Red Sea and Pharaoh in his chariot overwhelmed with the waters. Does anybody know what the motto is on it? Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. That's what's on the seal. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. I wonder how they felt about it. Jefferson likewise proposed the children of Israel in the wilderness led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The seal as finally approved by the committee was Pharaoh sitting in an open chariot, a crown on his head and a sword in his hand passing through the divided waters of the Red Sea in pursuit of the Israelites. Rays from a pillar of fire in the cloud expressive of the divine presence and command beaming on Moses who stands on the shore and is extending his hand over the sea and causes it to overwhelm Pharaoh. Signer of the declaration, Caesar Rodney of Delaware, also invoked the Exodus imagery, telling his brother, the Israelites, the chosen people of God, met with crosses and disappointments in their journey from the land of bondage to that of liberty, but by a steady perseverance and divine assistance, they at length possessed the promised land. Though that he permitted temporary obstructions talking about the Lord, will one day with a firm reliance on him crown his victorious, his virtuous endeavors with success and cause the modern pharaohs with their hosts to be buried in the sea of their own Toryism as he did in ancient pharaoh with ancient, as he did with ancient pharaoh in the Red Sea. By 1778, the Americans had suffered many military defeats. While they had won a major victory in the Battle of Saratoga in September of 1777, the overall trend had not been good. How many have felt like that sometimes? The overall trend. Yet, declaration signers such as Benjamin Rush of Pennsylvania were not discouraged, knowing that the war was far from over. Rush wrote Patrick Henry, and likening America's struggle to that of the Jews against the Egyptians, noted that we were still early in the story. That even though we had taken the first step, there were still uh, many obstacles in the wilderness that would require God's intervention if we were ever to reach the promised land. Now think about this. He was writing this then, and where are we now? He said, sir, we have only passed the Red Sea. A dreary wilderness is still before us. And unless a Moses or a Joshua are raised up in our behalf, we must perish before we reach the promised land. 
But just as God raised up Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb in Israel, so too in America he raised up leaders such as General George Washington, Henry Knox, Benjamin Lincoln, and many others whom he, had to, he, had to, he, he used to secure victory. In 1781, at the Battle of Yorktown, British troops surrendered to the Americans, thus ending the military conflict. But King George III was still unwilling to withdraw his troops from America. Doesn't that sound like Pharaoh? Or even sign a peace treaty with the Americans, whose diplomats were negotiating with British representatives in Paris, witnessing the king's uh, reticence to admit that he had been defeated, founding father James Duane recognized another parallel to Pharaoh in Exodus, Exodus explaining, whatever may be of the appearance from the passivity of the British and the despair of the Tories, the British supporters in America, how many of you know nothing has changed? There are still those in America that hate America. And people say, well, you know what we've done. Let's take that thought and apply it to every person on the planet and every nation. You will not find a perfect culture. But you won't find a nation like ours that is founded on the Bible. You'll find copycats of constitutions in other nations, but they don't include God. And that's why they don't work. He said, I do not think peace so near as is generally apprehended. The naval success of the enemy has hardened the heart of the British Pharaoh and rekindled his expiring wishes for our subjugation. The treaty at Paris goes on feebly. Finally, two years after the battle at Yorktown, the king acceded, admitted defeat, and approved peace with the Americans, fully recognizing our independence. But even after the victory was won and the U.S. Constitution written and ratified, this same biblical account continued to be invoked whenever there was discussion about oppression. For example, in 1790, founding father Elias uh, Boudinot of New Jersey, I even looked that word up on how to pronounce it, who was strongly anti-slavery, warned those in Congress who wished to preserve slavery that... It is true that the Egyptians held the Israelites in bondage for 400 years. But gentlemen, we cannot forget the consequences that followed. They were delivered by a strong hand and, an, and a stretched out arm. And, ought to be, and it ought to be remembered that the almighty power that accomplished their deliverance is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The biblical account of God miraculously delivering uh, his people and supernaturally guiding them to a place of liberty and plenty was a, freak, a frequently invoked source of inspiration in early America. Today, that passage continues as a lighthouse of hope for those facing difficulties of any type, for its message is unchanged. God can still deliver his children and convey them to their own place of freedom, safety, and abundance, regardless of the circumstances in which they find themselves. So this morning, I just wanted to encourage you with this. We are where we are. We're in the circumstances we're in. But as the church, 
and the understanding that true freedom isn't necessarily found in a national holiday, it's found in Jesus. But the best thing you can do as a Christian is be involved in your nation. I heard a minister say this a while back, and I, I tend to agree with them. Not that I fully agree. He made the statement that Washington, D.C. is a lost cause. And he said this statement. He made this statement. He said the only way that we can change Washington, D.C. is to change the local level. And he's right. Because there's so much entrenched in Washington, D.C., Guys, if you're Republican or Democrat, they're both got screwballs in them. I will say the Democrats have more screwballs. If you don't like that, well, I guess you don't. You'll be fine. You'll get over it. (laughs) Or you won't, one or the other. But even in 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 what we consider conservative Republican parties, it's the same. The only way these things are going to change is if we continue to stand with God in His Word. We go back to what the founding fathers founded this nation on and live from that place of biblical integrity. Do you know why politicians can be bought off? Because they don't fear God. That's why. If you fear God, no amount of money can move you. None. And people say, well, you just haven't had the right amount dangled in front of you. No, no. I'm, it's too late for me. You will not find it in me. I've already proved that God will take care of me. Amen. And I care. I have more. I'm going to use the word fear, but reverence in me. For the day that I stand before him. Because how many have noticed that nobody gets out alive? Naturally. My dad, years ago, he gave me this tape that I was supposed to listen to because I was going through puberty. (laughs) I don't remember anything. It was a doctor. And I was going to listen to this tape. Some of you know what tapes are, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I was supposed to listen to this tape. I don't remember anything on the tape about puberty at all. But I do remember this one statement the doctor said, the leading cause of death is birth. (laughs) I never forgot that. I've been using that for years. (laughs) Because sometimes we can pretend we're bumping along and nothing's going to happen because we get in our routines. And we like our routines. I'm not saying you should die young. That's not what I'm saying at all. We're, we're promised a long life, and we follow the Lord, and He gives us long life. And even the Lord preserves those who don't serve Him in mercy. Can I share one testimony with you, and then we'll stop? It's 12 o'clock right now, so we're done. I have a good friend of mine, uh, Mike and Bobby Wemple. Uh, They're not here this morning, but they come to the church. And his dad was in Iwo Jima. His dad was not saved. His His dad's whole platoon got killed, and he lived. He lived to be 80, 
I don't remember what it was. Three days, three days? Three days before he passed, Mikey's wife led him to the Lord. Three days. I don't recommend you wait that long. But I will say this. God is merciful. And we're not going to, you know, people say, well, is, you know, is America, I'll just put it to you like this. America is not God. But God has flowed through America. There's, there's no country in all the world that gives more money to missions, that sends out more missionaries, that does more good work than America does. And the reason why is because it was founded on godly principles. The problem that we have today is not, people are not like, oh, give up everything for my, uh, 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 we need, people realize this. They've, they've done exactly what the Israelites did when they went into the promised land. They, they, got all the, they got all the blessings of God and forgot about God. That's what happens. And we give God lip service. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, you are. How do, how do you know? Well, I believe in God. I've heard people say, I'm a Christian because I, li- I was born in the United States. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you can be a Buddhist in the United States. You can be a whatever. <laughs> well, it says on the money, in God we trust. That applies individually, not universally. <laughs> so we need to be aware of that. So I just want to encourage you with this just to remind you, to stir you up about this nation, that God is here and that God is going to move. God has not forgotten the blood that was shed for freedom. You know, the scripture talks about that human blood cries out from the ground. He hasn't forgotten. We are not in a bad place. People say, I don't know, I don't know. Have you seen what the president's doing? I don't focus on him at all. Because the people still hold the power. And we need to remember that, amen? And, and unite our hearts with that, what our founding fathers knew. This freedom to worship God is more important than anything else. It's the most important thing. Amen? Why don't you stand? We're going to have altar care workers up here. Uh, if you need prayer, you're welcome to come up for prayer. Uh, if you've never given your life to the Lord or you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, you can come up and they can pray with you. Um, but let's just pray for our nation real quick and then we'll close. So, Father, we do. We come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this nation that you've placed us in. Lord, you're the one that chose us to live in America. You chose us to be born in this place. We're grateful for this nation. Lord, there's a lot of things that have gone on that are not of you. And you're not pleased with them. But, Father, we do. We extend in request that you give wisdom to our leadership. Lord, that you speak and minister to our, the leaders of this nation, both on a national level and on a local level, Lord. That you minister life to them and show them the true uh, nature of your heart, which is love and mercy. Lord, show them that the ways that they're following will be destruction and not strength, not life, and not life more abundantly, which you desired for us. Father, we do. We pray for this nation that it will continue to fulfill exactly what you've called it to do until you are done and you return. So we thank you for our nation. 
We thank you for our freedom. We thank you for every military person that has given the ultimate sacrifice, Lord. We thank you for every military person that is still with us today, the veterans of our wars. Thank you, Lord, for their service. Thank you, Father, for every uh, uh, politician that has followed you and stuck to the morals of this nation in biblical foundation. Thank you, Lord, that you're continuing to expose the enemy and the way he operates. We believe you, Father, for great things and great revival. And Lord, even as you've told many of the, your ministers that are uh, nationally known, Lord, that we are in the great awakening, that there is an awakening and a move of God happening across this nation. Lord, we're seeing it. We know it. We're a part of it. And we thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, that family members are being saved, that friends are being saved, that those that have been lost and living lost are coming back to you, that you are doing signs, wonders, and miracles in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.